Hello, everybody. I'm absolutely delighted to have Megumi Miki with me today on our Breakthrough Podcast. Um, I have been so impressed with the work she's done. For me, it's really shifted my thinking. And I'm an extrovert, and we'll get back to that in a moment. But it's shifted my thinking significantly around leadership. So let me introduce you to Megumi. So Megumi is an author. She's a speaker. She's a consultant. And she mainly works in leadership, culture, diversity, inclusion. And what I found very interesting is that she's actually an economist. So her background is strategy, economics, and finance. I love how economists move over to the dark side of, of leadership and people. But I think it all makes sense because I think that's how economists think. Um, she has supported a diverse range of clients. She's worked in government agencies, nonprofits, multinational corporations. She speaks regularly at conferences. What I like about the work she does is that she challenges the status quo in leadership. Um, and I really think she helps us to unlock hidden talent and collective potential. There's a lot we don't unlock, so that's what we're going to get into today. One of the things and one of the books you should actually put on your reading list soon is Quietly Powerful. Uh, your Quiet Nature is Your Hidden Leadership Strength. Uh, incredible book. It challenges conventional assumptions about what it takes to be a successful leader. And this book achieved the Australian Career Book Award for 2020. Um, and also the best leadership book of 2020 in the Australian Business Book Awards. So she draws a lot from her personal experiences and also from working with leaders with diverse backgrounds and industries. And she brings a very fresh perspective on the qualities that enable quiet individuals to be effective and impactful leaders. In addition, she advocates for a more expanded and diverse approach to leadership that values quieter, understated approaches whether you're naturally quiet or not. That was one of my insights <laughs> that I, it's always listening more for me. Megumi, welcome. Thank you so much, Marianne. I was going to say when you said I saw the, I went to the dark side, I was going to say I saw the light. You saw the light. Actually, I was thinking that. I also think you saw the light. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting, Megumi, because I, I meet a lot of people that were either economists or engineers uh -huh. That really, and I think it's a systems thinking about training as an economist or an engineer that brings this leadership also when you work in strategy, isn't it? Because you start to see why strategy can't be executed. You can come up with mm. a great strategy. That's so actually where see. it started for me. I, I was a strategy consultant and I was looking at all these beautiful strategy PowerPoint documents and going, well, how is this going to go actually be implemented? And um, I saw situations where it did get implemented and I saw really great leadership and great teamwork. And other times I didn't. And I thought, hang on, there's something going on here. So, yeah, that's how I got started. I can absolutely believe that because I also love strategy. And I think system, the moment you think in a system, you think about what, what how does this whole thing work together? Mm -hmm. But I want to understand a little bit about your path to get to where you are now? How did you get to do what you're doing now, to work for yourself, to write this mm -hmm. book, to work on this topic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a long story, so I'll try and keep it short, but, you know, I've been on this planet for a fair bit. <laughs> I'm not a spring chicken anymore. But um, I, uh, I I started off in strategy consulting, but I actually got sick of it partially because I was wondering how, how on earth do you implement these beautiful strategies? But I also burnt out. And so in a strategy consulting firm, and so I moved on to an organisation and I, I was uh, really lucky to join ANZ Bank at a time they started doing this massive cultural transformation work. 
And um, for people who've been around in Australia in the 2000s, they may have heard about it. It was called Breakout and Cultural Transformation. It was an incredible program. And I was so lucky to have the opportunity to join the team, even though I had no background in HR or people or culture or leadership or anything like that. Um, I, uh, I did an application and did this thing, some some presentation thing, and um, the person, the people who were choosing, somehow chose me to join the team quite early on. And uh, I think I was one of the three who kicked off the internal team. So, so that was amazing, and I got so much training during that time in leadership, personal development, and um, and organisational systems, and all the a whole range of things. So. I still pinch myself that I had all of this experience over about eight years in ANZ, delivering programs, but also learning all of these things. So it was an incredible time. So that's how I got into leadership, organisational culture, that sort of work. And um, I'm so glad that I did because I love working in this field. And so I've been doing this now for over 20 years, which is quite scary. Um, and then I also uh, worked at Na uh, National Australia Bank as well, so two major banks in Australia. And uh, that was really helpful because I also, not only was I able to learn about leadership and culture, but I also learned about big organisations and how they work and how they don't work. And something that I noticed is um, the different types of leaders and the, the types of leaders I was drawn to versus not so much. And so I, I sort of had a an inkling about that way early on when I was working in leadership and culture. Um, but the idea of Quietly Powerful didn't form till quite a bit later, um, but there were some seeds there. And uh, eventually I went on to go on to start my own business and um, that was a big jump for me, but uh, I was ready and my daughter was in school and so I thought it was the right time. So so that's why I did that. And, uh, yeah, I did a range of things like leadership development in particular around helping leaders to use coaching approaches in their leadership and I really enjoyed that. But then eventually I um, got to a point of there's lots of leadership consultants and lots of people who do similar work and I was just thinking, what am I adding and I just sort of went into a, 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 mo a mode of thinking, well, what, what, what am I adding? Like, am I just adding the same things? And then I also thought about my own struggles, about being a little quieter. And at times as a consultant, I could get overlooked as well. Um, not only being quieter, but being an Asian woman in a Western organisational context. And so I thought about those struggles and I thought about what am I or what do I need to do to be effective but also uh, be able to share what I need to share or can share? And so I did a bit of investigation for myself personally but then really thought about, well, how about I study a few people and see how they're effective? And so that's how I got started interviewing Quietly Powerful Leaders and all of that combined ended up in um, this idea called Quietly Powerful so uh, it was my personal journey as well as the organisational observation of the types of leaders that I think we need more of that led to starting Quietly Powerful. And then it took me a few years to write the book after interviewing quite a few people, but um, it was just so inspiring to hear about leaders from all different backgrounds, all different sectors, you know, including the military and police who said that 
quieter leadership is effective, sometimes more effective. And so that gave me a lot of conviction about, wow, okay, there's something here that we're missing in the whole leadership development world. Then I thought, you know, maybe this is something I can add rather than just doing the same things. I love that. And, you know, if as I listen to you, I think it's that power of that quietly powerful power, which we'll talk about now, yeah. which is that you're observing all the time and you're thinking about it. You not just keep doing the same thing. Mm. I think that's part of it. It's that you've got this reflection, this observation going on, this listening going on all the mm. time and then the forming of the ideas and, and testing them, but also taking your time. You're not rushing into this. You've taken that's your true. time. Yeah, but it, it, so tell me about how this changes leadership and leadership development. What is it about? What is at the core of this breakthrough idea of quietly powerful or leaders who listen? I think you did both. Yeah, so quietly powerful is where I started thinking about the quieter individuals who are effective as leaders. And I interviewed 40 plus people and I even talked to some of the team members and some of them said that it's the best leadership they've ever been in and that kind of thing. So I was thinking, why is that? And then I um, I also interviewed people or leaders that I worked for that I appreciated who was a bit, bit, bit quieter and I, I understood why I really enjoyed and appreciated working with them. So, so that certainly um, was a starting point for Quietly Powerful. And if I were to think about what was the breakthrough, I think... Initially, I was thinking about introversion as the main point, and in particular, introvert women. But the breakthrough actually came when I realised it's not just about women or introversion, it's actually about a, a particular approach. And so there were some interviewees who were not necessarily so introverted, but they used some of the quietly powerful approaches to leadership and I and that that's the that's when you think about some of the words that you've already used about reflection and deeply thinking about things and observant and listening and being able to synthesize different ideas and um, not being so close to new ideas and being inclusive and all of those things it's like uh, uh, an approach to leadership that's stepping back a little bit rather than just being taking over the conversation or being dominating or telling people what to do. And to me, that was incredibly um, powerful as, as a leader, but then also it had an effect on the broader team and the organisation. I think that's what I was really drawn to. And so the if you think about the breakthrough, it was for me, it was going beyond um, Susan Cain's work, which is about introversion. And I totally appreciated it. And for me personally, it was really empowering to read that. But coming from a leadership development and a leadership consulting perspective, I just thought, hang on, that's not that's not it. <laughs> that's not just it. Introversion is a part of it, but there's lots of other people who might be quieter, even if they're not so introverted. And I discovered actually through my speaking that people will come up to me and say, well, I'm not actually introverted, but I do, I am quieter sometimes. And then as I investigated further, there's many other reasons why people might be quiet. And that's also expanded my thinking as well. So it's it's kind of evolved over time, um, Marianne, actually, that I started off quite small um, as a contains of introvert women type of idea, but it totally expanded from there. I love it, you know. Um... I am a screaming extrovert 
And I used to, especially when I was younger, so we just step forward so much. And I think, you know, Jung, Jung actually said we have to individuate. But I think as you actually grow as a leader and you start to do that inner work, you do become quieter mm. and you do become more reflective and you create so much more space, isn't it, when you step mm. back and give people that space to grow and you hold a container rather than take up all the space. Yeah. Um, so how do people develop this kind of leadership? What do they do? So in terms of developing the leadership, you know, there's various paths. And if you think about the quietly powerful leaders, they've taken different paths, different um, personal development, professional development. But what I picked up from all of the leaders are three attributes, if you like, that they ultimately developed. And I think that's probably the useful thing to share because it's like you have mm -hmm. a few things to aim for. So the first attribute that I noticed was uh, they're very comfortable in their own skins. And when I say comfortable, it's not the overt, confident appearance. It's more just that they're just relaxed in themselves, that they're okay to say, I don't know something, or they're okay to say, um, you know, I made a mistake. or that, that. So you just feel like they're very authentic because they're comfortable in themselves so they don't they don't have anything to hide if you like so so that was something that allowed people to really relate to them as just human beings and so that that being comfortable in yourself is a, a really key aspect and I think that comfort comes also from their ability to manage their anxiety or the little voices in the head um, and so one of the things that I do in my programs is, is that actually about how do you manage those little voices in the head that gets in the way saying, oh, you know, what am I saying? Or um, what if people judge me? Those sorts of voices that get in the way. Um, so getting getting past that, you'll never get rid of them, but being able to manage that, like I, I still have lots of them. So oh, My head is so full, but you're right. Exactly. I, do, I do manage them. Yeah, exactly. So that ability to manage them uh, has, has a huge contribution to being comfortable as well as the second attribute which is about being present and I think that is a huge aspect of being quietly powerful where you're so present that people can feel that they're there with you and that is such a huge trust builder and also uh, it deepens relationships and many of the leaders I interviewed talked about the relationships they've built have lasted decades even you know, not just years, decades. And um, and one of the leaders that I interviewed, I, I had not met her before. I didn't know her from a bar of soap. And now I've, I regularly catch up with her and it's a wonderful relationship and I appreciate her so much and she's so supportive. So I can see personally how they relate to people. So, so that presence and that also allows them to listen a lot better than you know, partially listening. You, you see that all the time in organisations where leaders are rushing around and they're typing as they're listening and all of all of those things, but also just that mentally uh, being present and, and being with people and emotionally available as well. So I think that's a huge part of being quietly powerful. And, um, and that I think the uh, managing those inner voices is a huge part of it again because if you're distracted by thoughts about you know what to say next and being anxious about whether I sh you should say something or not then you're not really being present so again that's a huge part of um, what I do with the people I coach and the third part actually 
Oh, did you want to say something? No, 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 absolutely. I was going to ask, what's the third thing? <laughs> yeah, I'm on a roll. <laughs> so the third part is um, is what we were talking about before we started, I think, around that being purposeful. So those leaders who step into leadership, even though they don't feel like they're a leader. So many leaders actually said that they don't feel like they're a leader. <laughs> and um, and especially when they were younger, they didn't really see themselves as leadership material until somebody tapped them on the shoulder and said, you know, you've got, you've got the potential to be an incredible leader and they stepped in. And the reason why they stepped into leadership roles is not because they wanted to get control and power and all of those things, um, attention, and, um, you know, they didn't go in, in for themselves. They went into it for a bigger purpose. So whether it's about taking the organisation to the next level or you, they wanted to build an amazing culture in their team or, you know, other reasons for serving their clients. And so there's something much, much bigger that drew them into their leadership positions rather than them wanting the status or the power and control that sometimes you see. As I listen to you, I think about the incredible psychological safety that would be created if mm. leaders showed up in those three ways, mm. which you mm. hear so much about, right? Um, you feel included, you feel valued, you feel seen, you feel heard, right, mm. as an employee. And so mm. you feel like you can bring your best, you can make mistakes, you can yeah. learn, you can ask yeah. questions, isn't it? Have yeah. you looked at how this relates to psychological safety at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. Psychological safety is a big part. Um, and this is where it links into the work I'm doing with my colleagues around leaders who listen. Okay. And, um, yeah, so this is about developing leaders who listen, but not only listen, but create safety and space for people to have a voice, to be able to contribute their best. And um, totally agree with you about psychological safety. When you have a leader who is comfortable in themselves, who can say they don't know everything, who are happy to say I made a mistake, of course the rest of the team are going to be okay about saying that they made a mistake or to highlight um, something that they disagree with because the leader is going to say, oh, okay, maybe I've thought about it wrong and they actually inquire into what they're thinking. So, of course, that's going to allow for psychological safety. But I think the additional piece that doesn't get spoken about, about enough which quietly powerful leaders bring is that they create the space. Mm. They don't overtalk. Mm. They create the space for people to actually have a voice and listen to them rather than talking most of the time and, you know, not many people have a chance to listen. So you, um, yeah, so you go away from that. Um, what's that word that people talk about? Um, I can't think of it straight away, but the the highest uh, hypo 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 highest yes. paid oh, uh, what yes. is it highest paid gets listened to not so oh, much high potential yes the loudest gets listened to or... yeah not only loudest but the highest paid <laughs> oh yes that is so true oh I haven't heard yeah. that yet I'm going to use that yeah yeah so highest I think it's it was... listened to oh not... we... is it hypo highest paid highest paid person's opinion Oh, yeah. So, so in a, any sort of group, yeah. the highest paid person's opinion counts the most. And people, generally speaking, especially if there's no psychological oh. safety, people just go with that. 
and so nobody yeah. challenges. And that's a really risky thing for leaders and organisations to have. So I, I do think that quietly powerful leaders have an edge around that because they don't take up the, the space and they also allow for safety for people to challenge them. They invite the challenge. So, yeah, so that's the avoiding the, the hippo. I love that. May I use that? I'm going to steal that. Oh, um, now, it also, so we spoke about psychological safety, but mm -hmm. it is also true, and you and I know this from having worked in Australia, right, and even me teaching MBAs and masters, mm -hmm. and a lot of it's virtual, and some of my students just don't speak up from certain mm -hmm. countries. They're really scared, and so they're, I know that, you know, you started women, you said even as an Asian woman, even though I think you were born in Australia and grew up in Australia, there's still, you live in two worlds, don't you? Like me, you know, you're always living in two worlds. Um, what is the link of quietly powerful to diversity inclusion? Because there is something about being a good multicultural leader. There is something mm -hmm. about the multicultural intelligence as well in there, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. So the cultural... Um, link is that that thing about um, rather than saying quietly powerful is just about introversion which I started off with it's really expanding it to think well why are people quieter and as you said some people from some cultures would tend to be quieter because that's how they grew up that's how they were taught to um, behave they might not speak uh, especially when there's authority in the room that's certainly what I grew up with. Um, uh, you know, you know that I was born here, but I actually did live in Japan for about 10 years. Um, I have Japanese parents, so definitely there's some conditioning there. Um, I mentioned this in a breakfast once and somebody else also said, well, actually, I grew up Catholic and I was, I'm like that too. So there's, there's other conditioning. It's mm. not just cultural. Mm, absolutely. There's different ways of being brought up that can cause people to be a little bit quieter too. So that's what I mean by you could be an extrovert, um, maybe not the, the really extreme extroverts, but if you're slightly extroverted, you could still go quite quiet. Um, the other thing too is some people who are highly sensitive, they can get overwhelmed and then they can go quiet. So there's a few things like that that I talk about in the book too now because I, I just think it's quite narrow to just think about introversion. Yeah. You know, I'm so delighted that you've done this breakthrough because there was such a long time, you know, I grew up in Africa, you know, I was born in Africa, so I look very Western, but in a lot of ways, I'm also very African. And so yeah. again, it's it's a, it's a very confusing thing. And of course, the elders are, are held in very high esteem, and it's all mm -hmm. very respectful. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, but I think that the one thing that I didn't enjoy was there was a very certain way of looking at leaders in all the leadership literature and all the leadership mm -hmm. development at a time, which kind of came out of the U.S. Army, I'd say, to a very large extent. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, American business schools. And, and there's nothing wrong with, uh, with American business schools or anything, but it was a style of leadership. It was leadership mm -hmm. scholars. That was, mm -hmm. It was a time when it was visionary, transformational, charismatic. Yeah. Right. Mm. And mm. I think this this brings it into it's a much it's a much more inclusive um, way. Mm. But also we're we're in a time when as machines, I just want to hear your thought about this as machines, AI develop and we start to use more of our human powers, our human abilities, mm. our human brains, our human collective. Mm. This is an important time to lead differently, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, quite dangerous to just stick with what we had as as leadership 
prototypes, if you like, uh, because of not only machines and AI and things like that, but also the world's a lot more complex and there's so much, so many problems that can't be solved by the leader. You can't have a hero leader who comes in and say, judge, and, you know, we'll fix it all. And there's just no way. Things cannot be fixed like that anymore. So unless you have leaders who can build a cohort of leaders, and um, my colleague Lee Garsner actually wrote an article about leadership as a community, that when you can actually have a group of people come together to solve problems, that's when you can solve problems, particularly in a complex environment. So if that's the case, then you can't have a leader who's standing out the front and shouting and taking up all the space and getting all the attention. It's, it just doesn't work anymore. Um, and you mentioned the US Army, so I might share my military leader uh, that I interviewed because um, I was totally blown away. I, I had, of course, I had this stereotype of a military leader who is the one that direct, is directive, authoritative and telling people what to do and and all of those things that most people would have a stereotype around. But um, what Simon, Simon Harrington is his name, he was a rear admiral of the Australian Navy, and he said that that's only about 10, 20% of the, the work that he does. So on the field, you have to be like that because you can't have all sorts of different people challenging what you're saying and, you know, people are going in different directions. So you do have to have a collective um, direction and and going in the same direction otherwise it's chaos so he said that in those situations absolutely true and uh, useful and I think in our uh, non-military world in an emergency that's relevant yeah so when when things have to go in a certain direction everybody has to go in a certain direction under emergency situations totally makes sense but that's only 10, 20% of a military environment, it's probably even less in a, in a non-military environment. And so what he said is the rest of the time, he's, the most important thing you need to do as a military leader is to build trust and listen to people and listen to the different experts who contribute to the strategy of their military operation. And when you actually hear about what it takes to develop a military strategy, it is just so complex. There's just so many different things you have to listen to about uh, the, you know, there's experts who know about, you know, mapping and and logistics and supply chain and uniforms and and uh, all the military equipment and the the you know a whole range of things. So you really need to be able to listen and integrate and think about what what you know all of that combined means. So he said that's 80%, 90% of your job. And so if you're always talking or shouting at people, which is what we stereotypically think of as military leaders, then you're really in big trouble. And he said that he's seen some leaders get into trouble as a result. Wow. So I think that's really interesting. That is fantastic. Now, none of these attributes that you spoke about, the three attributes, it, it, it's wonderful, but it's not easy to develop, is it? It takes Not time. Necessarily. Yeah, it can, can take time, um, but also I think it, what it requires is a bit of maturity in my mind. So um, the leaders that I interviewed, uh, um, yeah, most of them were fairly mature, um, but they said they developed it over time. Um, some of them developed it fairly 
I wouldn't say quickly, but um, yeah, it just required them to do some work for, for sure. So how do people read your book, go on your programs or start their development, Megumi, or find mm, you even? You. Where can they start? So um, the first place, I suppose, is LinkedIn. I, I do post a fair bit on LinkedIn about different ideas and so people might just want to peruse and, and think about some of the ideas. Um, on the website, quietlypowerful.com.au, um, that's there's a whole bunch of articles and videos and things that people can download and you can download the first two chapters of the book there as well as well as buy the signed copy of the book or you can go to Amazon and things like that where you can buy um, the copies there um, and uh, yeah just reach out to me on LinkedIn I'm happy to share the things that I've learned and the, the things that that's um, been helpful for me and the things that's been helpful for the quietly powerful leaders um, the programs that I run, I run it as um, a group program as well and as well as a one-on-one -on -one program. And I know that, um, you know, people just ask me what that's about. So I'm happy to chat about that too. And it's not just in Australia, is it? You could work with some people all over the world, right? Yes, yes. So the group program is done virtually, um, regardless of whether you're in Australia or not. So um, anybody can join in. In fact, currently I've got somebody from the US and uh, somebody from Singapore. Um, I've had people from Hong Kong and uh, other Asian countries in the past So, oh, and the UK. So, yeah, it's been quite a good mix. Fantastic. Look, I think this work is so incredibly important. Um, so are there any final thoughts you'd like to share before I ask you our fun question and we wrap it up? <laughs> Um, so I actually thought about that because that, that one was a slightly different topic so I didn't think I could just think off the top of my head. <laughs> and as you know, being an introvert, I do need to think about things. Um, I suppose one thing I, I thought about is to invite people to really examine who they think are leader-like because we're so drawn to the ones that are charismatic or confident-looking and so on, without really thinking about what's the substance behind it. And I think we're in danger of appointing or electing the leaders that we don't need <laughs> if we don't really challenge our thinking about the substance behind the, the front cover, if you like. Oh, I think that's so true. I think they're already in, unfortunately, in a lot of these positions. Um, my my friend um, always says all tip and no berg. <laughs> my brother always says all all hat and no cattle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is so is so right, isn't it? It's the substance. Um, it's I always say it's how that person makes you feel, isn't it? Yeah. You can always yeah. you don't always remember everything about people, but you can always remember how they make you feel, Absolutely. couldn't you? If you think back to your careers, through your lives, through friends, through school. Um, you can always remember how people made you feel. Yeah. Now, of course, our fun question, which I hope you did prepare for. I did. <laughs> um, I've had some fabulous answers. So if you were stranded by yourself on an island, what could you not live without, Magumi? <laughs> so I went really practical on this one. <laughs> and I thought, okay, what can I not live with? A water filter, because you can't live oh, without water. Brilliant. So you oh, you're such, that is such a Girl Scout answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
well, I tell you, I've had some fabulous ones. Oh, the, the, the friend that I interviewed who's a food futurist, of course, he was going to take his three favorite food items. Huh? I'm just like, seriously, like seasoning. He's like, yeah, well, I forgot I'm going to catch the fish. Oh, I've had some fantastic things. Thank you. That was so much fun. Megumi, your work is so important. Um, thank you for bringing this to the world. Thank you for continuing to think about solving these issues and contributing your ideas and thoughts. And I really hope, I think a lot of people would feel so relieved <laughs> that they don't have to be charismatic and loud and confident and take up all the space. And that they can just be much more authentic and, and be themselves and, and just work with others um, yeah. and just, you know, not have to have all the answers. And, and I think it just, all of those things lead to burnout, doesn't it? All this hero leadership. And it can also lead to spectacular failure because um, you've only got one point of failure. So, so I think you bring an amazing piece of work to the world. And thank you so much for your time. I had so much oh, fun. Thank you. Yeah, no, Sam, thank you so much. It was great to chat with you.